0: In today's weekly dars, inshallah, ta'ala, we are going to continue from our previous dars about the concepts of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness within our faith. To start that off we must understand that Islam brought about a social change. Islam is not simply a culmination or a collection of ideas or a collection of theories It is an entirely new life. It is a spiritual path that transforms not only the individual, but society at large. It creates that social change that brings about a moral upliftment so great that history bears witness even till this day that Arabia was considered a wilderness And historically speaking, most great nations took quite a long time, hundreds of years, to build up to the prestige that they can boast about. The Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, even the Mongolians and the Chinese. But when you look at the history of the world, and you look at Arabia, it was nothing, and then all of a sudden within 30 years, 30 years is nothing. It's a very short span of time it began to expand. They became people, intellectuals, people who were so great in their moral behavior that they surpassed anybody from the East or the West. To give you an example, as Islam continued to expand within the first hundred years or so, it had reached all the way to Spain. And historians have written that when Islam was in Spain, the streets Of Spain had street lights 1400 years ago or 1300 years ago and at the exact same time in history they said we went up to London England and there was no sewerage system there was no drainage system that we would walk around town knee-deep in mud on one side they had beautiful streets with street lights and on the other side they could not even walk around town this was the transformation that Islam brought about not because of any cultural changes but the, the change that Islam showed them, Islam introduced a culture within Islam There are so many beautiful things that Islam introduced to the world that did not exist before even For example, rules of engagement during war. Before that, war was open-ended, do whatever all fair in love and war, right? This is a concept that has existed in the world even till this day, and it is only Islam that created a sort of moral standard even within war, war. How about the deceased, people who pass away? Even in the middle of war, Muslims are commanded that they must bury the bodies. They will not leave them on the ground just sitting there to rot. They will not mutilate the body and so many other things. These were all different ways in which Islam brought about a new and improved cultural change. But now let's go back to this world that we live in today, in America. Today, we have many of our youth, many of our people, who sometimes are confused about what is our culture and what is Islamic culture. And the reason for that is because for centuries, some of the countries that we have come from have embraced Islam and have intertwined some of the teachings of Islam within their own culture, only to sometimes deviate or many times deviate from the true essence of what Islam is instructed. Beautiful example is in this room right now Many of us have different kinds of hats. Whether a Burhani hat or Indonesian hat or a baseball cap. And I gave this example last time. Islam says cover your head out of respect. Islam does not say with what. Obviously with something with modesty and reasonable. Nothing gold plated. But something just ordinary. You can wear a sombrero. If that is part of your culture. No problem. It will do the same as a baseball cap or an Indonesian cap would do. And this is exactly the beauty the beauty of Islam. Islam teaches us that if understand the essence of why you're doing it then it doesn't matter how you execute it, as long as that essence is there. Let me give you another example parda and this is very specifically the veil that women wear. If you are not aware of this, I've lived in New York City for now many years and Whenever you see a Jewish woman, and this is certain denominations, not all of them, but there's a number of denominations, orthodox usually, who typically will not have a veil over their heads, the women. But they have a commandment to cover their heads as well. And if you didn't know this, Jewish women of this particular denomination, they cover their heads. How? They shave off their hair and put on a wig. Because they believe that you have to cover your head. It doesn't say how. It doesn't say where. And what to do, it just says cover your head. So it's very simple. I want to go out and look pretty. I will simply just put on a wig on. And it's a huge industry in New York City. Thousands of dollars to buy one wig. So when you meet somebody, you have no idea is that they're real hair or not they're real hair. Because they missed why you're supposed to do parda or veil to begin with. They just interpret it as they thought would work for them. But Islam of course teaches us why do we cover our head and we'll talk about that more as we move ahead. So again, we know that in America today we have these struggles where people have misconstrued culture and their religion specifically in Islam. But then we also have these ideals that we grew up with. You know I was born and raised here. I also heard these ideals and they sounded beautiful. Only to find out that these ideals are actually within Islam. But I have been convinced by the culture around me or the society around me that these are somehow disconnected from Islam but let me read them to you. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. We already spoke last week about the rights of others and I mentioned why we're talking about rights of others and not our personal obligations because the rights of others is exactly how you create a peaceful society a, a harmonious society one of the biggest accusations against Islam is we are a terrorist religion now god forbid so here I'm showing that in Islam there are so many beautiful elements that create that true peaceful society not this make-believe peaceful society where you drive down the street today we're sitting in this beautiful air conditioned room but just go down the street and you will see an entire town of people living in tents on the street they have no food, they have nothing to eat, nothing to drink just a few blocks away and nobody cares we're gonna go to sleep at night as if that isn't our problem but Islam says no the reality is look at those weaknesses in your society acknowledge what they are and see how you can improve them because that is how you will have peace Peace is not this, that you close the shutters and you don't know what's going on outside. Ignorance is not bliss in the, long, in the long-term sense. So now we've spoken about life, we talked about how the rights of others in the sense of our life is that we should feel safe when we walk outside the door. We should not only feel safe outside, we should feel safe inside our homes. We should be safe from verbal, physical and mental abuse. We had this detailed conversation last time And additionally, we talked about privacy and how Islam honors privacy. It it awards privacy to every individual in the home. Within the home, again, we're talking about. How can you create that peace from within the home? If we can do that within the home by giving each other their due rights, then we can start to show that outside. Today, we're going to talk about liberty. Freedom would be another way to understand it. But before we talk about that, let's talk about whether or not you and I, our souls, even have freedom to begin with. Are we truly free? Or are we part of this chain of of orders and decrees made by God and we have to follow this line and today I'm gonna scratch my face and tomorrow he's gonna jump up and down and this is how everything will happen. It's already predestined, nothing will change. In fact... The only way you can truly believe in free will is if you believe in God. Think about that for a moment. The only way you can truly believe in free will is if you believe in God. If you do not believe in God, you cannot believe in free will. Why? It is only a God that can give you the choice of good and evil. Because without God, there is no good and there is no evil there is only what is scientific and what is not there is only what is data driven what is past experience or not for example scientifically speaking strictly scientifically take out morality take out spirituality take out goodness there is no way for somebody to convince another person that x, y, and z is a good deed to do For example, survival of the fittest. You and I know, we've heard this term, it's a very scientific term. It is the reason why every species exists today. So if a person gets up on the stage and says we should have ethnic cleansing so that those ethnicities that have the best chance of surviving, then we will be following the right of survival of the fittest. How could anybody get up and disapprove such a person without using morality? without using goodness they wouldn't they would have to say you know what statistically speaking you might be right statistically speaking there are some groups of people in this world that are more fit that are healthier and statistically speaking this man would not be able to be disproved and he would you would have to agree god forbid that there are certain groups of society that should be ignored this is speaking strictly scientifically so this is what The scientific world sometimes, or even atheists and agnostics, sometimes ignore. There is no good without God, because God is the one who gave us this choice. He put evil and He put goodness in front of us and said, you choose. You have the decision to make. If you choose good, you'll be brought closer to God, you'll be brought closer to a good outcome, a good result. And if you pick bad or evil, then you'll continue on your downward path, one leading to another. And so free will in its true essence is directly connected to the existence of God, to the existence of goodness. Now, understanding this, let's go back for a moment to our homes. Let's think about it for a moment. We are in our homes and we're talking about liberty. Last time we talked about life, the ability to walk outside safe, The ability to be safe in our homes. But now we're talking about freedom. What freedom do we have in our homes? There's countless, but I want to pinpoint a few, very specific. You and I have freedoms that we can, choices that we can make, that are in our realm. We can make those choices. Nobody else can make them for us. And Islam honors that. Give you an example. Marriage, or a proposal for marriage. Islam does not allow anybody to force any marriage proposal on anybody else, period. How so? Meaning, not even a parent, not even a mother, not even a father can come home and say, Oh dear son or daughter, I found this person, you will marry them. This is the biggest myth surrounding arranged marriage. The second biggest myth surrounding arranged marriage is that only a parent can suggest a proposal that is also one of the greatest myths surrounding arranged marriage arranged marriage is simply an environment that keeps all parties safe and makes you or gives you the ability to make a sound judgment in your decision meaning you can step back for a moment and decide whether or not the person you are going to consider, are they even compatible on some level? Is there something that matches here before you engage in a relationship? But arranged marriage does not say that it must be approved by mother, it must be approved by father, no, it must be approved by you. Whether it's a girl or a boy, only Islam guarantees that right. No other religion has ever guaranteed this right that the person the individual concerned will make that decision even deeper if we go further down anybody can propose look at the example of the Holy Prophet Muhammad <clears throat> who brought the proposal of Hazrat Khatija as an example his parents had passed away Hazrat Abu Talib didn't bring the proposal Hazrat Khatija's friend brought the proposal to her Holy Prophet Muhammad. Uh-huh. She made the consideration that maybe Hazrat Khatija and the Prophet would be a good match. She first went to Hazrat Khatija, got her consent first to consider the idea. Then she went to the Holy Prophet Muhammad, uh-huh. got his consent. And then, of course, he directed her please go to my parents, meaning my guardian, Abu Talib, to make sure that he's okay with it. This opens up a few more doors a lot of our new generation think arranged marriage is a scary thing it's not my marriage did not happen from my parents proposal either it was somebody else who called and made that connection they knew both myself and my wife now many a times unfortunately our parents will try to force us to simply say yes either through blackmail or mentally or you know some kind of other way of of trying to uh, convince us that we have to say yes but you have to remember it is healthy for your child to be open about their preferences it is healthy for your child to consider what a best match will be but also it is healthy for your child to understand that compromises must be made Nobody is perfect, not the person looking, and not the person who is found. But what are those compromises? To what extent will you make a compromise? This is where sometimes our parents will interject and they will force their children to draw lines further away from where they were originally comfortable to draw the line. And this is where I tell the children you have no reason to continuously sign papers and agree, that's your mistake. Hold your ground. If you feel something doesn't sound right, doesn't seem right, there's a certain compromise you're making that doesn't feel right, you do not need to sign papers and then get to such a situation where now you have to sign more papers papers, called divorce papers because you went too far into this and you have to turn around and come back. At the same time, our children or anybody who is looking for a, a spouse, they have the right to decide what that compatibility is. ham See, the Holy Prophet Muhammad wasallam, very beautifully said, there are four reasons why anybody gets married. He said, one reason is when they look at their spouse, meaning look at the girl, they look to see if they are beautiful. Number one. Number two, they will look to see if the family is a very renowned family number three they will look to see whether they're wealthy they have good money or not and number four they will look to see if they are morally and spiritually uplifting or at some standard or not if they are religious, if they have deen, if they have some faith and then the holy prophet Muhammad said that everyone should look towards the fourth, if they don't then they're Entire decision or their hands will be full of dust, meaning they'll have achieved nothing, they'll have gotten nothing. He didn't say only look at the fourth, he said they should prefer the fourth, they should put more emphasis on the fourth. What that means is that there is a level of compatibility among all four of these things whether it's the wealth, meaning the social status, whether it's the family background where they are whether it's the the beauty or the, the looks to some degree but again Islam never allows shallowness never ever encourages such a thing and that is exactly where parents should play a very good role they should speak up and they should be clear that you should be above this concept of shallowness where you are looking at whether they have a dimple or not and whether they have eyelashes this length or not and how how long is their hair and what kind of job do they have, what title is their name with what kind of car do they drive, is it 2023, is it a 2019 these are very shallow things to look at. Similarly another thing that Islam opens up and this is directly in line with this which is that there is a liberty in communication between parents and children beloved hazur Azza khalifatul masih al 5 sayyid many times when talking about how parents can be better <coughs> closer to their children he always says that open a free and clear line of communication so much so that if they bring things to you that seem shameful to you things that you're not comfortable talking about you should be open to talk about them he even quoted he says some people maybe from a pakistani background And they may feel these are things they don't want to hear. But if you don't address them, if you don't talk to them about these things, who else are they going to go talk to? They're going to find somebody else. And then you don't know what answer they're going to give or how they will help them. Similarly, while we're talking about marriage, there's also a liberty in divorce. Islam is the only religion that gives the right to divorce to both men and to women. Not even Christianity. No other religion gives the right to women to have the ability to get up and get a divorce. 1400 years ago Islam was that religion. Today in America the only reason women can get a divorce is not because of their Christian background. It's because legally it makes no sense otherwise. How could you force somebody to remain married? Similarly, families should know this. Sometimes it is families that push each other or push their relatives to get a divorce. Sometimes they make that environment so. They share stories. Oh, you know, he said this and she said this. They create that environment. We should remember that divorce, the Holy Prophet Muhammad wasallam, said the the most disliked halal thing is divorce meaning it's legitimate you can do it but he says under the under the you know under the list of all those things that you're allowed to do this is the most disliked is to get a divorce now why statistically speaking divorce lingers from generation to generation when a family gets a divorce their children are now 50 to 70% more likely to follow suit, they will end up finding a spouse that leads them in the same path of a divorce. And then it continues after one after the other. This is why the Holy Prophet Muhammad says that you should never force one another to get a divorce. And in the same way, sometimes you will see some families are so adamant to try to create ruckus in a home that when this when they when they bring them to the point when they finally come to the mosque and they say we want a divorce the missionary sits down with them now it's just the two husband and wife and they speak to them and he says do you want to get a divorce they said no not really we're okay when the husband and wife are happy what on earth is the, is the judge gonna do he can't force them to get divorced now they're happy leave them alone this happens with police officers too sometimes there's a call of domestic abuse the police officers come and they see the man they grab him they're about to beat him or they're about to take him out it's the wife who jumps forward and says oh please don't touch him don't hurt him again there's a huge science behind this these are women who have gone through so much trauma and they have gone through so much difficulty that they have been brought to a point where they genuinely feel this man loves them and that He beats them out of His love. It's a very sad state that leaves this entire society in a place where it becomes an imbalance. And so this is why we should always, of course, there's a dislike there, Allah opened that door for a reason. Nobody should suffer in silence, nobody should suffer any physical abuse or mental abuse or verbal abuse. As I talked about it last week, we have freedom. We have the life to have safety and privacy. We will continue, inshallah, the concept of liberty again next week. What we should understand is that the biggest aspect of liberty, or what it means is, that we are free from the shackles of Satan in the context of dealing with others. Meaning we are free to deal with each other. And this is how beautiful Islam is. Islam says, within a society you have, if you do not create marriage as a solution to society, what will happen? People will start to have children illegitimately. There will be an imbalance in the society. So Allah says, I introduce marriage. This is what Islam gives. But then, Islam says, but remember, the decision is not on the society to decide who they marry. It is on that individual. They decide who they will marry. They can create whatever list of expectations they have. And then Islam says, again, both have the permission, if they wish, they can get a divorce. They can find that avenue as well. They have the liberty of communicating with one another. They have the liberty of living in society peacefully and freely. All of these elements is what creates a peaceful society. This is why we are very blessed that Islam has given us all these beautiful elements. May Allah help us to understand them and to truly embrace them and to share them with the rest of the world. Amen. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammadin wa inna ka Hamidun